Hey everybody and welcome to the Health Tech Podcast where we talk about everything healthcare and technology. I'm your host, James Somaru, and this is your weekly Sunday session. Hello everybody and happy Sunday. So if you want to catch up on what's happened this week in health tech, you can head over to healthtechpigeon.com and the link is in the description of this episode. And this week you can read all about the UK launching the largest ever rare disease diagnosis program in the NHS and that is with a company called Mendelian, who are a superb health tech startup here in the UK focused on rare disease diagnosis. Well Health has raised $45 million and we cover a few other bits that you can read about, so some fundraising myths in there and also what can health data scientists learn from Rick and Morty. So if you guys know the, uh, the cartoon Rick and Morty, uh, then <laughs> you can read about what health tech data scientists are learning from that program. So lots of cool stuff in there. There's also some podcasts and different bits and bobs uh, and some opportunities in there. So uh, for example, Pair Bio looking for a machine vision engineer. Uh, the applications for the AI for good accelerator from Microsoft, that's in there. And uh, NHSX have got a virtual engagement event for innovators. So plenty of stuff to read about in Health Tech Pigeon. So do give that a little subscribe and a little read this week. But for the episode today, I've got back with me Dilraj Kelsey. So you may remember him from a couple of episodes ago. He is back to talk about some of the practical steps to take and hurdles to overcome in becoming an entrepreneur in the wellness space. So I hope you enjoy. Dilraj, welcome back to the Health Tech Podcast. How you doing, mate? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Great to be back so soon. <laughs> Absolutely. We uh, we talked for a while and we uh, somehow still didn't get through everything. So um wanted to get you back on, mate, just to chat about some bits because obviously the wellness space is so important in health tech because of what, I guess, what we talked about before in that wellness at some point becomes preventative healthcare because by keeping well people well they stay away from the health service which obviously has benefits to everybody that is being treated within that health service and so i suppose the importance of 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 wellness or well-being has never really escaped me i've always had a keen eye on it i actually applied to do public health at one point because that's where i wanted to spend my time um Mm -hmm. so it's never it's never really escaped me the importance of that sort of stuff but I i know that's the case for you as well with everything that you're doing but i think one thing that we perhaps didn't touch on or we didn't spend much time on last time was was I guess what all of this means for health tech entrepreneurs and I think I know that you've got a lot to say on um on on where focus needs to be and things like that but yeah talk me through it dude yeah so I think there's a there's a couple of interesting points there I think you and I both kind of share this when you're when you have a background in in healthcare in particular, you've got this whole system and and, and rigorous system in which you, you're used to thinking. Um, it's sometimes when you're delving into this wellness world, it feels like where is that where is that same sense of of rigor and, and depth to the kind of background data or ongoing data processing and that kind of thing. So that's one of the things that's a, a broader issue. But then the the thing with kind of technology in general, there's like a proliferation of standards, right? There's so many. There's so many well-being apps now. It's a very crowded but very opaque space. And where you've got uh, institutions in kind of a medical context, let's say NICE, and then in the kind of digital health app context, Orca, that are helping to kind of accredit and, and, and highlight which ones have uh, greater depths of evidence or, or kind of quality of build to them. 
it's not it, when it's more on the wellness side it's more opaque and it's not clear to see what the value is going to be in terms of actual health outcome i think that's a combination of things that are contributing to that i think it's this perception culturally that well-being and health are taught of uh, are kind of talked about as relatively separate entities and i think that time you know it's it, they're on a continuum it's been it's been kind of there's a, a continuum illness wellness continuum that was made in the 70s that describes this relationship from people who are you know unwell multi multiple conditions who would be typically you know uh, using the health services more through to your people who are really well uh, doing all of the kind of gym and yoga classes up, up on their nutrition and all sorts of it but it's a continuum it's not it's not this discrete two objects that we that we uh, should be treating entirely separately so I think the gaps are in terms of that that need to be thought of there are really what are the outcomes that you're trying to get to with that wellness solution and that needs to be thought of more in the context of uh, a longer term health outcome now because at the way things are going and the problems that are emerging from an employer perspective particularly when we think about well-being you know, we're going to have a lot more health impacts of people being at home and feeling socially isolated and having reduced access to care. Can I just jump in there, mate? So, so for example, and so, so, you know, I'm a, call me a health tech entrepreneur right now. I've got my eye on the wellness space. I'm thinking, you know, how, you know, what should I build? What problem do I want to solve? You're, what you're saying is, in fact, let me ask you a question first. Who, who is policing this stuff at the moment? I mean, when I say policing, you know, you've mentioned NICE, you've mentioned ORCA, and I suppose from a from a healthcare point of view, those those are definitely big names that, that are gonna do that stuff. Who mm-hmm. who who really is it that is that is looking at the wellness space that I, I suppose me as a me as a consumer at this point, me as a an, an everyday person at this point that's looking to keep themselves well, how do I know really that whatever app i get or, or whatever solution that i get or product that i get who, who is telling me at the moment whether it is good or bad yeah that um i think the truth is the answer to that one is it's no different to downloading any other app on the app store right this whatever is, criteria this is interesting right because mm-hmm. at what point does it does it stop being healthcare and it starts being wellness yeah it's so arbitrary where you draw that line because of how open kind of the ability is now to, to make an app and throw it on the stories. Yeah. And I suppose particularly when you're then saying, okay, well, actually, if you are an entrepreneur in the space and you can do something, focus on a condition or focus on a, a health output. Mm-hmm. And, and, but then, it, but then you just have to what hold yourself to your own standards. I mean, for now, that's potentially potentially the case. I think wow. there's going to come a stage where we have to we have to start bringing thought leaders together and uh, and start defining what the standards might be. I mean, yeah. even when you look at the the measurement of of well being of employees in different organisations, there's there's proliferation of standards there, right? Mm. Every organisation tends to, huge ones tend to be quite kind of uh, confidential about what their pulse surveys are, or they engage a couple of organisations privately to do those things. And so then, then there are some kind of more broadly used standards. I think it may come to, to a head at some point where it's probably going to take a few really large employers to come together and say, actually, the best way for us to know this, the answers to these questions uh, and really, really align 
business outcome and employee well-being is to is to create the the standard for what how we should be measuring uh, well-being tools, whether they're apps or otherwise. But in the meantime, the responsibility of anyone in in that space is really to. I think you you and I have had a couple of times the theme of responsibility come up yeah. at the individual end user level from a kind of patient perspective, but also from the innovator perspective. Where it's possible to, I think I think sometimes we can be very scared of of competition of um, of being better or worse than others, but actually providing that comparability between yourself and other solutions is going to foster more creativity and more innovation that's ultimately to the individual and end user benefit. And so I think that's a good North Star to have. Um, be prepared to measure yourself and truly towards the impact that you're trying to have. Find the best way of measuring whatever that impact is that you are looking to have, whether it's mental health or, or health more broadly or a specific condition like arthritis or diabetes. Find the relevant metrics that are important to patients, that are important to clinicians and lace them into your user journey. I absolutely agree. That for me, that's a really good, simple how-to, I suppose, of, of how you go or how one of the ways that you can help yourself go from an idea to, to actual reality and an MVP and a product is by finding those. And I think by really understand we talk about this all the time on this podcast you know understanding your customer or the end user and then how you go about doing that but as you've described you can actually find hard metrics as to what patients actually care about in that disease Mm -hmm. process and so when you're looking at wellness and you're looking to stave off a condition or you're looking to help them in a specific way absolutely finding out what the metrics are that people actually care about are going to be so important because that's going to really help you define what the product is and what it does as well i suppose yeah for sure i think it's um it's easy to miss out on really important perspectives from patients and individuals who are going through these journeys you know last time we highlighted how behavior change is ultimately what we're looking at achieving through any of these solutions right whether it's trying to encourage the behavior of taking a medication yeah. or trying to encourage better exercise or nutrition. Now, what, the more you can gather and understand the real perspective as to why that might not, may or may not be occurring, um, whether that's the way information is delivered to people or whether it's actually just trying to build that habit on a daily basis. You, you don't know without talking to them. Um, I think the reports that are out there in a lot of, uh, from a lot of charities and other institutions are, are really great as a top-down kind of viewpoint but actually you have to be thinking you have to be talking to the people you're trying to you're trying to build solutions for there's totally agreed, that qualitative element that you're going to miss out on if you don't do that but i think it's it's within the wellness and health space there's this little bit of okay uh research angle data driven like uh, at scale data bits then there's clinician perspective how they like to think of the problem uh, are there relevant metrics there and then there's actually what does the what does the individual who's going through this actually care about, and how do the how do the three coalesce into an overall solution? So, how do you think about this? Yeah, so I mean, so I've, what I've been doing with Hippocrates Lounge for a while now is a, is a one-to-one e-clinic focused on optimizing lifestyle uh, and hopefully trying to better manage long-term conditions for those people. And in trying to look at a more scaled approach, naturally, technology has come into has come into play right but what i've been very cognizant of is what's the outcome that i'm actually trying to achieve and for whom and then the technology enables that wherever it should 
Um, I think it's easy to get lost in tech, as I've said a couple of times in speaking to you. So the, this problem that's evolving at the moment that seems to be the biggest need for, for the whole health at work scene is, is how remote working, social isolation is affecting people. And some people are calling that quarantine fatigue. So whether that's mental health symptoms, stress, anxiety, racing thoughts, or reduced or increased appetite, or difficulty sleeping, or just changes in productivity levels. Those are the kind of things people are describing in terms of adapting to remote working. Now, when you try and put kind of two and two together with some of the other literature, we know already that loneliness is dubbed as being as bad for your health as 15 cigarettes per day, but the, the risks that it increases are depression and suicide, so we know there's a mental health risk, but the thing that people don't really think about is actually there's an increased risk of cardiovascular disease uh, and all cause mortality. So those sorts of things are, I mean, is quarantine fatigue a precursor to those longer term worse health outcomes of loneliness. And so there's, a, there's a, an increasing kind of, it, it's, a, it's a, an insidious health burden that's kind of growing there that the healthcare system doesn't have resource to deal with right now. And that problem also adds, adds even further when you've got reduced access to care. It's 20% in the UK as of May, according to the Health Foundation. So people with long-term conditions can't see their specialists anymore. So they're gonna get probably worse in that time And we're not going to see these burdens until probably a year down the line. But if wellness were more of a preventative health approach, then we've got an opportunity to get ahead of that. So the problem that I'm trying to tackle primarily right now is this whole adaptation to remote working, tackling quarantine fatigue. And that's that's my North Star. But how I'm attempting to lace in the measurements that to use health related quality of life surveys so that it's more of a comparable agnostic uh, way of looking at, at how our, whether whether it's working or not, and then there isn't a measure of quarantine fatigue right now. So we're we're monitoring the kind of uh, frequency of symptoms. But I think what's really important and interesting there is that you can use the kind of every measurement tool you use, you can use that to then personalize the experience for the individual going through your tech platform, right? So, in let's say uh, let's say James, you're struggling with sleeping because you're adapting into remote work right mm. we can get a sense of overall in terms of your health related quality of life are you uh, across different domains um, maybe fatigue is coming up as being quite low and then it, when we're looking at quarantine fatigue specifically maybe sleep is coming up as a problem and then we can really highlight all of the relevant content that you've got within your solution to to target sleep and to help you sleep better so it's quite a simple thing but actually You've got the right metrics serving two, two purposes, measuring outcomes in a comparable fashion and in a way that's relevant to health outcomes more broadly, but also personalizing the experience for the individual, uh, which is super important when we think about actually what's the end user experience of these solutions that we're, uh, that we're working towards. When I think about you know the entrepreneurs listening to this or the future entrepreneurs that are listening to this that have got an idea in the wellness space, my mind goes to a couple of things that you've mentioned. One of which is this this element of, of focusing on outcomes and focusing on a north star and having an actual not a, not even a reason but like actual metrics that you're aiming for as to what you're trying to do when you build your product. The other thing is is that healthcare is not a collection of products it's a collection of services and one thing that you're alluding to is that 
no matter what wellness app you think you've got, the app is just the, just the window to it. It's not the service that sits behind. And I think that, again, is something that gets forgotten, particularly in wellness, because we equate wellness to sort of, oh, it's just an app you can download, download onto your phone and it will do a thing. And I don't know, it just feels very appy, doesn't it, the wellness space? But really... <laughs> As we talked about before with behavior change, what you're aiming for is a behavior change via the app. But actually, as this moves towards a preventative health care slash wellness, the closer that we get to preventative health care, the more it actually needs to be a service or at least the app needs to be part of a service that you're delivering. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at with the, you know, the clinic that you run and I suppose other people in the space that do similar things is that we can't look at wellness as just the app store of just like a part of the app store. And that's what wellness is, or that's what preventative healthcare is because it's sort of the same thing as what you're saying there. Cause it's not, it's actually the services that go behind this stuff. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting question, but I mean, a thought, thought to go down. Cause if I play devil's advocate on that, I would argue that there are, I mean, there's potential that, all of these appy solutions are very focused on kind of the, the nice elements of what an app should look like and those kind of technical aspects of user experience. But then all of the kind of more academic and more clinical solutions are very, very laser focused on what's the clinical outcome. <laughs> and I, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. And what we're trying to do is amalgamate the two in a way that's both beautiful to use as an experience so that we ensure that long-term engagement piece and delivering on the back end and over time in th- through behavior changes, those longer term health outcomes. I don't think it's, um, it's not perfect in any scene. I think when you look more at kind of the literature on digital behavior change interventions, for instance, a lot of those things are really simple and not, uh, not what you would expect of a modern tech solution. Whereas what you're saying, and, and I think is, is a fair point. I mean, I've looked at the kind of the wellness apps that are on the, on the stores and, and done a little analysis, which I'll get into in a second, but they're not necessary. I mean, they might look great, but are they serving the purpose? So both worlds could probably learn a little bit from each other. It's just the pace at which they're able to do so, I think is a bit of a limiting factor at the minute. Mm. And I suppose I'm back to kind of responsibility, I guess. Who, who do you think should pay for this stuff? Because you've got employers, insurers, the patients themselves. Where do you see that? (laughs) <laughs> it's a it's it's a very interesting one um because this is also relevant for entrepreneurs listening that are looking to build this out when you think about a business model for a wellness app do you think yep. about it as b2c where you've got to get real volume do you think about the same thing applying b2b and selling it via employers and insurers you know big health go via employers yep. um i'm sure you know plenty go via insurers. like how, how do you th- yeah. how do you think that business model plays out I think, I think let's break it down because there's potential to go down any one of those avenues. I think, I think when we're thinking about health tech, the immediate thing that a lot of people are thinking is let's go into healthcare systems. Now, there's a lot of regulatory barriers in order to enter that space. And I think that's why a lot of wellness solutions go down the, one, the, the route with the least barriers to entry, which when you have limited resources, 
you can understand why that is. Well, I think wellness um, is popular for that reason. I, I really do. I, yeah. I think that the, with with the with the lower barrier to entry in terms of the regulatory, it means you need less money to you know get around it, and therefore it's actually easier to put those things out. And frankly, you might not need as much even medical knowledge, dare I say it, to to put those things out. So I do yeah, think it's grounded for that reason. Yeah, potentially very true. I think the other thing is kind of getting trials together and the kind of research backing and all that sort of thing that it's all very expensive and you can spend a lot of money before delivering any real value to people. So it's actually when you're talking about service, it's probably of more value to figure out can you actually solve the solution at a small scale without any technology um, for a few people and do your own kind of it's basically running kind of little trials for yourself and being quite incisively scientific about it right if you can solve the problem for one to ten people in a small kind of group setting can you solve that can can tech enable you to solve that same problem at scale so that's kind of that's one of the ways in which you can try and make it more rigorous and outcome focused that over time if you can figure out the academic world enough hopefully you can get some um, more uh, objective, uh, objective looking into your data, and then and then potentially collaborate with universities in in, in outputting a relevant paper that way. I think it's it's a very opaque space to get into though in terms of figuring out how to get how to get that level of rigor and how to jump through every single hoop to get there. Mm. And that's not even mentioning the kind of length of the stale cycle in a healthcare system, which uh, you and I both know how long how long that can mm. be. Um, because healthcare systems are, are strained, they don't necessarily have as much time to focus on solving the problems that they even know are there because they're firefighting, right? So mm. I think that's my kind of, in a nutshell, view of if you're to go down the B2B uh, to selling to healthcare provider route. I think B2B to insurers is an interesting one, and that's more of a partner-type relationship because when you're looking at wellness for uh, for insurers, it's more... Uh, they're going to test the solutions probably with their own workforce. And then if it works, they're going to look to scale and they might want to partner with you. So that's one. I think it's it's a relationship that could be potentially tricky to navigate as to do you get eaten up or do you mm. actually collaborate? But insurers um, are clearly very incentivized. Yeah, for sure. If if you can actually reduce the health risk to those people that you're supporting. Yes. So so they will they will help incentivize you in the right direction on your outcomes, right? So that's that's one where if you're not sure what the outcome metrics might be, that could be that could be a route to go down in terms of they might actually help me shape that. Uh, and then the business case is clear, uh, moving on to other organizations other insurers or other employers actually even. So then I guess that dovetails quite nicely onto the employer business case. Now that's kind of lit in the, in the research literature, it's well established how, uh, you know, having, having good wellness offerings leads to better engagement, better productivity, reduced absenteeism, reduced staff turnover, ultimately in some cases even reduced claims and improvement of, uh, of customer relevant metrics. But I think one of the big problems there is where, where there's a responsibility on, on whoever's developing the solutions is those things aren't really being being measured together on a continuous basis. Now, you can bring, if you measure your solution in the right way, you can bring that data to the table. And then, then the employer is in a better position to actually look at yes. what the return on investment is, right? They can't do that without the right data points in play. And I think there's a bit of a culture shift to, to, that has to occur from, from the employer side, actually, at the moment, from wellness is this, nice to have, potentially sunk costs uh 
to actually it does deliver value and we can see that in in some of the numbers that we've got um, so using those kind of validated surveys that i've mentioned previously are, are a worthwhile way of being able to pull in some cost efficiency analysis of your of your health outcomes that you deliver and that can be analyzed along with the key business metrics that are already being being done uh, in that, in those organizations so that's i think in in a lot of ways i, I think most most wellness app solutions will see employers as the uh, and, and the b2b side of that as the easiest way to enter that space because you can get to a large number of people relatively quickly so you can get more of that data to say whether it, you know if it's if it's really delivering or not um as well as you get a, a large amount of, of revenue potentially at once that should sustain you moving forward. So that's, that's the appeal of that, of that particular side of things. But then that leaves you with more responsibility to actually measure your outcomes properly. Similarly, B2C, I think that's probably the one with the least barriers to entry. It's make an app, throw it on the store, see what happens. Um, even more responsibility on you then to to measure what you're doing appropriately and i think when you think about the user experience overall and in the context of the outcome that you're actually looking to achieve for anyone who uses your app you will find a way to be able to measure everything you need to know from a health point of view but also to use that to deliver an experience to to your end user that's going to lead to better outcomes that they're going to enjoy. And before we wrap up, I guess it'd be good to get from you with you being in the wellness space and connected to all the health tech and the wellness tech and whatever you want to call it, you, you know everything that's out there. What would be your tips as we kind of enter this period of a brand new lockdown for what we hope is just a month, but you never know. Um, yeah, what, what would your tips be? Yeah, I think um, interestingly enough, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, as my, uh, as I've kind of, my whole approach and ethos is, it's more about how are you going to make what's out there work for you as an individual, right? So, I think the key thing to figure out for yourself is to to reflect on how lockdown has been affecting you. Is it is it your mental health? Is it your sleep? Is it your appetite? and be honest about that with yourself, list that down in order of priority. I think then you need to really break it down into what can you do about each of those things? Are there strategies in terms of uh, how you're eating, uh, your exercise, whether you're doing enough, uh, what you're doing to keep up your mental health and what you're doing to, to sleep better? Are there relevant solutions out there that can help support that, right? So if there is, if mental health is a bigger concern, is there an app that seems suitable out there um, in terms of, Okay, I mean the the kind of resources to look at are uh, Orca, the NHS App Store, uh, and then the app stores themselves. Is there anything relevant that seems strong in terms of the specific goal that you're trying to achieve? Uh, and then think about you know what are the daily habits that off the back of that that you're trying to build that are actually going to keep you at your strongest throughout all of those uh, against all of those impacts of lockdown because we're all feeling them. It's definitely, it's not going to go away, that feeling of kind of whatever the impacts are of social isolation that we've already discussed, they're not going away. But actually being clear on how it's affecting you, what that means in terms of what your aim should be, and then considering what are the solutions at an individual level that I can use? Are there apps that can support that? Great. If not, then think about another way. Um, are those apps kind of appropriate, support, well-validated in the context of what I'm trying to achieve? And then 
more of it is actually about making that behavior change and the apps are just conduits for that. So what are the daily habits that you're already trying to, trying to get to, to, to um, really integrate into your daily routine that are ultimately going to kind of help tackle what you're feeling right now. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.